Welcome to episode 89 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play Firewatch. Let's get right into it. Aren't you going to do the plugs? I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll do the plugs. I, I've forgotten. You've done it literally 100 times. I can't believe you would forget. Hey, uh, so I'm going to turn the radio off for a while. You can follow all things Left Behind Game Club on our website at leftbehindgame.club, on Twitter at leftbehindclub, and on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. If you want to join our Discord and talk about video games, you can do so. There's a link on our website. Without further ado or interruptions, let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCourt, and today I have three friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him, his name is Michael Ruffalo. Oh, I'm excited to talk about an interesting game. Oh no, here we go. Here to talk about another interesting game is an interesting friend with a very good beard, uh, Mohamed Murtadi. Mohai. Only you can prevent forest fires. And our third friend, first time on the podcast, uh, it is Dan from the Greatest Story Ever Played podcast. Dan, welcome to the Left Behind Game Club. What's up, guys? Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we're we're very happy to have you. I went on your show a few months ago to talk about uh, Man of Madon, uh, so obviously we needed to have you on ours. Uh, do you want to tell our audience about your show that you do, The Greatest Story Ever Played? Yeah, so uh, our show, Greatest Story Ever Played, uh, similar to these guys, we hit up uh, one game per episode kind of deal and break it down and all of that. Uh, we do tend to stay more story focused, so if you like Firewatch, uh, we probably have a lot of other games that you would like as well. And after you've listened to this episode, you have a Firewatch episode. So if you're still dying for more Firewatch content, uh, there is more Firewatch content for you. Firewatch, Firewatch, Firewatch. Today we're playing Firewatch, which is a video game from Campo Santo, developed by them, published by Campo Santo and Panic. Originally released in 2016 on Windows, OS X, Linux, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. Gentlemen, if you had to pitch Firewatch in one sentence, what would that sentence be? This time, I'm going to start with Mo. Okay, I would say Firewatch is a game we've already played, question mark? And I'll leave it at that and I'll fill in the context when we get into it. All right, Mike, you're next. A conspiracy-laden simulation of the most boring job in the world. Uh, I will go next and Dan will go last. So I will say that Firewatch is gone home, but forest fires. And Dan, what do you think? Uh, Man with problems goes into the woods. TLDR. TLDR. Gentlemen, there's a long-standing giant bomb bit that essentially just asks, what is Firewatch? What the f*** Firewatch? No. 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 Do you have binoculars? 
Did you see Maybe. fire? Yes. Possible. Yes. Push A to say, I see a fire? No. Oh, I see a fire. What I want to know is how much you knew about Firewatch before we played it and kind of what your personal history with the game is. Mike, I, I think you probably have the the largest personal history with this one. Oh, man, I'm carrying backpacks and briefcases and hiking sacks and everything <laughs> under the sun into this game because uh, I feel like Firewatch has been a white whale of sorts. Um, I was... I say was because the podcast no longer exists, but one of the biggest fans of the Idle Thumbs podcast and the group of guys that went on to create Campo Santo. Um, but beyond the Idle Thumbs, I was also such a huge fan of Ali Moss, um, who's an amazing artist uh, who did a lot of the art in this game. I own a bunch of prints of his. I own a bunch of graphic tees that he designed. Um I came into this game a huge fan of all of the creators and hoping, just hoping that I'd be able to leave this game still being a huge fan of the creators and oh, um, no. so much of what so much of what Idle Thumbs was as a podcast is is kind of what I wanted, you know, w- without betraying too much, a lot of this podcast to be a, a podcast where you know, you can talk about games in a really smart, insightful way, but also in a really dumb look at how stupid video games can be <laughs> sense. So um, I, I I love the Idle Thumbs guys. I love Chris Remo. I love Sean Vanneman. I love Jake Rodkin. I love Ollie Moss. I can't wait to get into discussing this game. Oh, boy. Um, Dan, what's your personal history with Campo Santo, with Firewatch, with Idle Thumbs? Uh, so I guess that, I, as uh, said at the top, I did record an episode on this maybe two years ago. So I did play it then. I, likewise, uh, not as big of a fan as Mike, but I was definitely pretty excited going into it, just knowing uh, Sean Vanneman and Jake Rodkin did Walking Dead Season 1, so... I was pretty stoked on that. I was like, they made a great story once. Can they do it again? And so my expectations were really high the first time I went and played. And um, it's interesting this time I because I played it again then for this podcast. And I listened to my old episode to see what I thought then to compare it to what I think now. So that was interesting. I don't go back and listen to my episodes after I edit them. So that was sort of an interesting experience <laughs> for this. <laughs> we should also mention that uh, some of the Campo Santo guys worked on uh, the best piece of Bioshock DLC, Minerva's Den. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of great Telltale games and, uh, you know, Idle Thumbs spinoff. Um, you know, Steve made Gone Home. So there's, there's just so many touch points along the way of great games that led up to this or that, you know, this, this was a, a next step from that, uh, yeah, huge, huge amount of pedigree and legacy coming into this. Mo, what did you know about uh, Firewatch before we started? I have a funny story about what I knew. Um, you guys have been <laughs> such champions of this game. Firewatch. We have to play Firewatch. We have to put it on the podcast. Since almost when we started the whole podcast, that at one point, I'm like, let me just pretend like I know this game. So I was like, yeah, 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 let's do a Firewatch. Yeah, that's a game we should play. Yeah, it's popular. Everyone knows about it. Meanwhile, uh, nothing. Not a single thing. I think one of you one of you guys might have mentioned it's like a adventure same in the woods where you're talking to someone through a walkie-talkie. Full stop. It's all I knew. I guess I knew 
somewhere in between Dan and Mike. This was like our big white whale for the show. We, we've been pushing to play it for two years. We were holding it because we wanted to play it around the release of uh, In the Valley of the Gods. Uh, but who knows if that game is ever coming out. Um, the Campo Santo got purchased by Valve. I want to say like maybe two years ago, and that game kind of got put on the shelf because they had to work on Half-Life Alex. Uh, that game recently came out, so maybe someday we'll see in the Valley of the Gods, but it's been years since we've seen new stuff about it. Uh, either way, very excited. Uh, I was at a PAX panel with Giant Bomb when they started the What is Firewatch bit because no one could tell what the game was before it came out. Uh, it was a bit, it was probably their longest lasting bit. That if you said it today, a Giant Bomb fan would still go like, yeah, <laughs> what is Firewatch? I get it. Um, but that's that's kind of my history with uh, with this game. Um, I, I played it on PS4. Uh, how did you guys play it? We'll start with Dan. How did you play this one? Also on PS4. Uh, Mo? I uh, Mouse and keyboard with the assistance of a walkthrough. <laughs> <laughs> Mike? And I played it on my Xbox because it's part of Game Pass. Oh, great. Um, I played it on PS4, and Dan, uh, I don't know if you if you share this feeling, but I played it on a base model PS4, and, like, had, had some slight, like, graphical hitching issues. Like, it didn't run smooth as butter on PS4. Yeah, I think it was probably about the same as you. Yeah. Mo, did it run well on PC? Yeah, it was fine. Um, I didn't have any okay. issues. I think my rig is pretty good, so. On my, on my Xbox One X, uh, it... I didn't notice any issues while I was playing, but what I did notice is that the loading screens, which is essentially telling you what day you're on, were a lot longer than I thought they should have been, uh, and and took, you know, were were longer pauses than I was expecting. Were there issues on PS4? Like, were you guys struggling, like chunking along with it, or what? I think that just when it, the game got more graphically intense, intense, especially when. This is the first spoiler warning. Uh, the the forest was on fire and there was a lot of smoke. I just think that the the PS4 maybe didn't handle it as well as other games. Uh, Mo, did you know this one's a, it's a Unity game? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, yeah. The assets in general, like the trees, I almost swear that I've seen them before. Like that you can buy them. Like the <laughs> environments. Um, like this is like two years ago or so. It could have been they used the same ones and like reuse some of Look. the different elements, but. Yeah. Did you look through the credits, Mo? No. Because they cite all of the different plugins oh, and okay. yeah. uh, attacks <laughs> that they pull in. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of times with Unity because they have so many different like uh, assets that you can like purchase from people or developers. It's like, I swear I've seen this before, but it's a game. So did it come from them or did they use it? It doesn't really matter because like when you look at like the Unity assets, they all look like stuff from a game you've probably already played. Which is kind of cool if you want to make a game, you can make something that maybe looks like Firewatch. So, which I think is probably a good thing to hop into, right? Like, what do you guys think of the aesthetic of Firewatch? I want to bring my comment in. I swear this was a short hike, gone home. Um, what was the one with the the kids that were creeped out um, that we just played a few podcasts ago that I completely forgetting? It was like a platform. I can't even Oxen remember. Oxen free. Oxen free. Oxen free. <laughs> it's those three games blended together in like first person with like a different story, but it's the exact same premise. Like you're trying to escape something. You're in the woods. You're trying to find, you're meeting friends, you're making conversations. And all of a sudden, like at the end, it's just like, it's over. Move on with your life. There's nothing else that's happening. Um, the game is like very pastel. Like it relies on a lot of that aesthetic and the characters, although you will see very few of them, uh, are very kind of chunky like i don't want to say blocky because they have low poly like, roundness to them they're low poly and they're very chonky throughout you'll see your character's hands i love chonky and as a description 
Yeah, he's your your guy, Hank. He's such a chunky boy. Uh, <laughs> and even when I saw his wedding ring, because you can see a wedding ring on his left hand when you're playing the game, I just looked and I said, like, are your fingers swollen and that ring will never come off? Or is are those your actual hands? Chonky. That's the way I feel about it. Yes, there's definitely a uh, plasticky... Um, you know, Duplo. I don't want to say deformed, but but definitely you know rubber esque aesthetic. I would say it seemed to me a little bit influenced by um, like the Psychonauts aesthetic a bit. Um, not as caricaturized, but definitely to to that extent where there's a very clear silhouette or outline um, where you know appendages are uh, you know extended or uh, a, a little bit longer than you might expect. I would dub it medium poly at this point now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the characters definitely have a, a, a type of aesthetic. Um, and I think that's pretty weird to say, considering you don't really see any character aside from the first person view of uh, of, of your character's feet and, and arms. Um, and aside from that, you just see silhouettes of people in the distance. With that in mind, though, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the nature of it like and maybe it's i'm feeling nature deprived uh right now or whatever but (laughs) (laughs) i I was surprised going and like hiking and stuff i was like i kind of like this like and i I didn't feel that way the first time but uh i did feel that way this time yeah there's there's definitely a beauty to nature in this um it just it looks so aesthetically pleasing i remember when this game came out ford had actually misappropriated uh some of the firewatch assets for its own advertisements and got into some uh, hot water because of it um and it like i don't blame them it was so it's so beautiful and appealing and they they use great contrast throughout and i think there's nothing better than that opening scene where you get a, a taste of everything. You get a taste of the bright blue sky and, you know, pale white uh, earth. You see the green bushes and then you see the fiery sunset and how that just changes the entire atmosphere throughout. Um, I thought, like, visually at the beginning, so stunning. Yeah, I think it's uh, games in general when they show that like the scope of their levels where they make it seem like you can go miles and miles. I think we all uniformly go, "Wow, that this game feels so good. It's so big." But that's all like they're, they're just playing with your head pretty much because th- mm-hmm. that distance isn't really that far. But whenever they show the distance, like in Ori in the Blind Forest, when you see the background, it's a platformer, but you can see the distance, you can see the flow. Everyone's just like, "Oh!" But you're right, Dan. It's probably because we're all stuck indoors right now. <laughs> Uh, and Mike, Ollie, to your point, designed a lot of like beautiful posters that were kind of in the world that shared like, hey, forest fires are bad and like, hey, rangers, they good. So it was nice to see like the environment was great. The color was great, but there was also a lot of detail within the environments as well. I loved all of the knockoff brands. Uh, oh, I the, love knockoff brands. Different items. Biff peanut butter, I thought was so good. Um, I, I love the posters. Like, Ollie Moss is a fantastic designer. Um, and I, I think he, he even tones down his style a bunch in this game to, to make it a little bit more uniform. But um, I think the aesthetic of the game was so great. I think one of the things that was just clearly missing for me was just a lack of wildlife. Like, there are a ton of beautiful trees and plants and rocks and, you know, everything under the sun. And it looks very realistic the way it's laid out. 
Um, the thing that just strikes me as unrealistic was how there there were not many animals about in the middle of nature. I hope we start talking about unrealisticness and this game because you're right, Mike. There are there isn't no wildlife, and guess what? He's not prepared to handle any wildlife either. He's barehanded, ready to attack a grizzly bear. Like if anything happens, <laughs> what is going on here? What park ranger you know is not armed? Like what? Like what? Like. So you, Guys, you're not I, a park ranger, though. I do need to bring up, though, there was a very adorable turtle that you could uh, adopt in the game that you could just find and pick up, and he sits next to your bed, and he's such a good boy. Uh, so there's not zero wildlife, yeah, but there's right. next to no wildlife. There, I mean, aside from that, there's also an elk at the very beginning. But I need to know right now, I cannot wait, what did you name the turtle? Turt. Turt Reynolds? Turt Reynolds, yeah. <laughs> Same. I didn't. I didn't really give him a name because I thought everyone what do you was mean? gonna. I thought we were all gonna die. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> I. I actually even and I. I want to. I want you guys to listen to a clip that I. That I. Uh, that I provided to you. Uh, I took a voice note. It's twelve seconds long, and this was my prediction for the game. And I just want you to listen to it now. I'll put it on the podcast. But just listen to it, and and you'll understand why I named my turtle what I named him. Hey, this is past me. Um... I think that my character is going to die in a fire, and it's not going to be a good fire. It's going to be a bad fire. Just just a prediction. we got two hours left. Let's see how this goes. Gotcha. Fair enough. You didn't want to take ownership of this turtle and have it go up in flames. But if it is a forest fire, turtle's not making it. <laughs> Nobody's making it. I didn't pick the turtle up, so no name. What? Turt, Shel- Turt Reynolds was the best. Yeah, <laughs> he was there for every adventure. It's optional. I picked him up every single day yeah. out of out of his box inside the tower, <laughs> and I said, "You, sir, Turt Reynolds, are coming with me. <laughs> We're going to go on an adventure today. You're going to keep me company. I can't imagine playing the game without him." Aw, <laughs> such a soft. Well, there you go. You need to get yourself a turtle in real life too. I really um, do. I need a pet. You need a pet. No. You don't have time for a pet. <laughs> but uh, I just want to ask you guys, we've talked a lot about what it looks like. We've kind of talked about our turtles in the game. What kind of game is Firewatch? Because I think it's fair to say, like, if you're, we're, we're talking about it in a very succinct way, it is a first-person adventure game. With mystery? Yeah. It's a walking and talking simulator. <laughs> Would you call it a walkie-talkie? Hey! <laughs> I did it! If, you have, you big if you've been preparing that for the past 15 minutes, I'm going to be upset. Ugh. Since the Ugh. beginning of this podcast, oh I've wanted gosh. to say that. So thank you. Thank you. I'm here all day. Guys, I'm just looking at our subscriber count. It just halved in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you mean doubled? No, unfortunately. I wish it was. <laughs> Dan, how would you, how would you describe uh, the, the game, like the genre of the Firewatch? I'd go with the walking sim also. I feel like it fits pretty squarely in there. Like you can do a little bit of interaction, but it's pretty limited. I don't think it does much differently from other walking simulators in the genre. I think that the interesting piece of this game is the mystery that it it tries to create throughout this entire game. Because when the game starts... You know, you go through maybe a five minute period where you're setting the game's backstory and it's done through text only. And I'm like, huh, what kind of, what kind of game is this? And then you start talking to the main character uh, that you, or your main kind of protagonist that's with you. Her name's Delilah. And or is she an nothing, antagonist? 
Oh, you think she's the antagonist? I think she could be the antagonist. Mm, Is it, that's up to I think, interpretation. Depends yeah. on how nice you are. I, I even read that there's apparently a playthrough where you don't even talk to her at all. And you can get, get through the whole game, apparently. Yeah. I didn't read what like the actual like end like end result was, but there's like there's some parts where like you have to kind of talk to her, but then the majority you can just like not answer if it's like a timed response. You can just mm-hmm. proceed. Interesting. Kind of like the the Telltale, I thought. So I, I was totally under the assumption that it is linear. Like in any dialogue that you were like you chose was just going to change potentially the future dialogue if it was associated to it. Yeah, I, I think that they're the like if you're looking at a dialogue tree, like a, like you said, a lot of it will start at one place and then expand out in the middle, but then it will come to most people get one ending and then there may be a second ending as well. I think that's kind of how it goes. And to be fair, are you saying it's an actual different ending or is it just we see one thing versus another? Like you see her in the helicopter and you jump on versus you getting on by yourself. Like, I don't know if that's I a different ending. Just that's the same. Ending. Very minute permutations. Okay. Is this a is this a point where we should probably start diving into uh, the spoiler room and talk about the story kind of from a from a high level? Okay, so who wants to set the scene of Firewatch and talk about the beautiful lush forests of Wyoming? Michael, I guess I guess we should start in the way that the game starts, which is a series of jump cuts with a really heart wrenching you know, choose your own adventure text story. Um, where it tells the story of how you meet your wife. Uh, I believe her name's Julie or Julia. Julia. Um, yeah, you meet your wife at a bar and you adopt a dog and um, you either decide to promise her you're going to have kids or you don't. And then she ends up coming down with Alzheimer's at a really young age. And the story of Firewatch is your character escaping to the woods away from society in, I think, 86, um, 87, somewhere around then, um, essentially running away from his problems and finding some time to process it. Um, and, and a conspiracy unfolds within, um, but it's, 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 it's tough to say what this game's about other than you know, the, the, the preamble and everything that happened since. Yeah. Mike, in the beginning, literally reminded me of, uh, to the moon when you're pretty much dealing with like a close family member, wife in this situation, dealing with like a mental disorder or like kind of drifting away. And it's a whole like story based off that premise of you trying to figure out like, what do I do from here? My loved one is gone or they're leaving. Like where, where am I kind of, and that's the, one of the first things that kind of triggered. This is just like a game we've played to bring it back to my beginning comment. If did we play this already? Another one. Yeah. Uh, Henry's a coward. I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to live in a, Mike's just like, Oh my, uh, my, I, I can't imagine what it's like to live in that type of life where your wife has Alzheimer's. It's probably incredibly difficult. Uh, she went with her family out to Australia because that's where she was from. But Henry's whole thing was cool. I'm just going to go out and spend a whole summer in the forest. Peace. That was, that was what he decided to do. Dan. I thought that, uh, just th- this intro, I felt it was really effective. Like this might be my favorite part in the game just cause I thought it was so effective of like defining your character. He's got all this baggage and it, it like makes you feel bad. I was surprised that just reading words for five minutes made me feel pretty bad. Um, I was just like, this really sucks. Like 
just imagining and and even the decisions along the way like should your wife uh move across the country to get that job at princeton or whatever or should you tell her not to and then you know she's slowly losing her uh faculties or whatever with alzheimer's on setting at like 40 or whatever like how what a tragic like start to it but then as you said jacob it is pretty cowardly to be like I don't know how to deal with this. And when her parents almost gave me like an out, so to speak, that he was like, all right, I guess I'm going to like go jet to the woods and find myself maybe like, uh, yeah. Intense start. I, I couldn't agree more, Dan. It, 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 I think one of the things that's really clear about your character, I think no matter how you play him is that he's, he's guilt ridden. Um, and I think the reason I have real empathy for him is, you know, I, I've been in a situation where a loved one near me, you know, has dementia and Alzheimer's and there it's, there it's so incredibly tough to, to figure out how to navigate a relationship with someone you should know so closely and they don't even remember you. Um, and yeah, I, I think I would normally say like, yeah, he's a coward, um, but I know just how difficult that can be. And I think it's clear throughout the game that he's just incredibly guilt-ridden, or at least the way that I, I played him throughout the game. Yeah, I, I can relate to Michael too, knowing someone close to, that had uh, Alzheimer's, but I, I want to also paint this picture. Like He's obviously been like dealing with this for a while to help her out. He was able to get her to her family safe in Australia to be taken care of. And right now he needs to heal himself to be able to maybe help her out in the future. It's more so like it's stress, stress, stress all day dealing. 24 hours a day is dealing with this kind of measure. I wouldn't call him a coward. I think it's one of the responsible things to kind of make sure you're okay. That way you can help the person that's with you. It's not like he dumped her in the streets of New York and said, you don't know where you are. Bye. And like left her. He's like, <laughs> stay with your family. Let me figure myself out. But his guilt is natural for someone to kind of need to take that time away from someone they care about. They're he's obviously stressing out like I'm moving, I'm gone away, but he, he kind of knows too. Like I'm going to take care of myself right now, put myself in a better state for the summer, whatever it may be. And then maybe come back, maybe go, that's kind of how the story goes. And it, it could just be that I was raised a Catholic and guilt is just, you know, <laughs> carved right into you, right? It's just carved into my psyche as like a natural reflex, but I definitely related to uh you know our guilty protagonist mike i'm catholic too so i don't know what my problem is then (laughs) but um i just want to ask you you that's your problem that's my problem we've see i was i was guilt ridden there i guess that's (laughs) that's the guilt coming through um we've kind of like talked a little bit about how you felt going into it how did you play your henry because i felt that you know as the game went um, we've talked about kind of the, the person that you are speaking to on a walkie talkie, the entire game. Her name is Delilah. She's also a fire watcher in the forest of Wyoming. She's kind of your only human contact. She's someone of the opposite sex, someone that, you know, you may fall for, you may want to be with whatever. Um, I definitely was like stricken with guilt the entire game because I'm like, I have a wife. I can see my re- wedding ring when I'm playing this game. Uh, I can't do anything with you. Is that kind of how you felt Mike so there are there there are moments in the game and I don't know if you've noticed this as well that you find your wedding ring on the desk uh, that that Henry takes his wedding ring off which I think is is really telling about the the dialogue choices it's it bounces between playful and flirty 
Um, and there's even a scene in which Delilah, you know, comes on to you and says like, Hey, I'd love to, to see you after this. I'd love to grab a drink and, you know, I know you're not available, but I can't help myself. And I played my character exactly as if, you know, I was in his shoes and I did not entertain that at all. I was already so guilt ridden that I was not with my wife, that I was secluded in a two day hike away from civilization, plus a helicopter ride um, to even consider flirting with the woman on the other end of the walkie talkie. Who is my boss? But quickly, were, were you cold to her or were you just kind of like friendly? I was initially pretty standoffish and snarky to her because she tried to she tried to like bother me after two days of hiking and not letting me sleep. So I was like, you are annoying. <laughs> um, and then I developed some rapport with her. You know, she opens up. She tells you some stuff. Um, and I opened up as well because it was kind of therapeutic. And I I played it as if we were friendly and developing a relationship, but not anything more than, than I guess, a friendship. Dan, how did you play it? I was uh, same as uh, Mike there, is that I played pretty, I would say neutral or like, like I'm from the Midwest of the US, so like we're just generally like, I don't know, positive and nice outward kind of thing. Like that's how we act. And so I feel like I kind of played that way. Good meat and potatoes. people. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I feel like I kind of played that way where I was like nice to her, but same thing, not like uh, flirting with her or anything like that. I was surprised though. Like I remembered um, before playing that I liked Delilah, like the thought her character was interesting and like enjoyable to interact with, but playing again the second time, I can see how like, for Henry, she could seem like kind of the like uh, mysterious alt girl who I'm talking to on the phone. And like, this is exciting. Like, I could see how that is. Granted, you have a wife with Alzheimer's, so like you shouldn't go after that. But like, I I was just like, oh, I can see how like Henry could feel that tension potentially. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about yet is the voice acting. And although there were a limited set of characters... Uh, I think that Sissy Jones, who played Delilah, was easily the best voice actress or voice actor in the game. Her performance throughout, uh, you could make different choices and ask different things or talk in different ways. But I find whatever the tone was, Sissy nailed it every single time. I I think Rich Summer, the guy who you might know as Harry Crane from Mad Men, who voices <laughs> uh, Henry or Hank, whatever you want to call him. Um, I thought he did a good job as well, even though there were serious moments where I flipped and I was like, wait, this is the guy from Mad Men. Um, <laughs> so it, it definitely pulled it, pulled me out of it at times, but I I thought he kind of fit the character really well. I thought it was good casting. That's good to know. I'm starting Mad Men like this week, so I'll keep an eye out for it. Um, I, I thought, is it Sissy? I don't know the name. The Delilah's voice Sissy. actress. Can we just stop and just applaud the fact that she was essentially just a radio voice like coming through and we like i think all know her her personality her like her like temperament all of that just through the dialogue box there's no like other bit of feedback like with our character at least you can see him moving around you can see how he's reacting to things that he's like looking at this one's essentially just speaker a voice coming out of a speaker box and we know exactly this character that's quality voice acting i think mm-hmm and even when, like, she was drunk, for example, at one point, you know, she had a, a half a bottle of tequila in her belly, as as Hank was would say. Uh, she played that really convincingly, too. So I literally think that she is 
I want to say she's like the best, one of the best parts of this entire game, but uh, I digress. Um, the relationship between the two of you really starts to progress uh, after the first incident that you have on day one with some terrible, terrible teens. All that I knew about Firewatch going in uh, is that I could throw a boombox that belonged to some terrible teens into the water, <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. Did you really? See, I, I grabbed that boombox and I carried it with me for the rest of the day um, everywhere I went. So I had that beautiful pop song just like in my head like for the nightmare. rest of that day. It was amazing. <laughs> I wanted to see if I could. Like so much of this game is like, would I be able to do this? Like, can I just play this whole day carrying a pine cone? Um, <laughs> and in fact, you can. You can pretty much play most days carrying the exact same item anywhere you go. Can we just stop again and realize the greatest thing Mike experienced in this game was carrying an acorn in his pocket? Come on, <laughs> Firewatch, help us out here. <laughs> I agree, Mo. Without without um without giving too too much away, as much as I like the aesthetic, and as much as I thought the voice acting was great, and as much as I really liked the well written dialogue, this game was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I think <sighs> I felt the exact same way, Mike. The only two things that kind of maybe kind of go a little bit more positive with it were one, um, the turtle. Two was the actual smoke as it came like all the way up to you at the very end. Like you looked like you were in a forest that was maybe coming down like with a fire. I, in my head, I'm like, how is he not choking? How is he not struggling to breathe? Because it was pretty thick. And I don't know if you've ever unfortunately had the opportunity to smoke um like to, to breathe in smoke in like a in a fiery area but that doesn't seem like it'd be something you'd enjoy or like not respond to in any way i thought it was kind of <laughs> weird but i love the, the effect itself that's one of the reasons why i kind of liked the, the game turtle and the smoke not even the teens the teens didn't do it for you no dude they were so rude first of all though <laughs> uh henry i feel it was mistaken too so in, in the beginning of this this podcast recording we mentioned to him as a fire marshal but someone also mentioned that he was a ranger so he's not a ranger okay he's just a fire watch he sits in a tower and he's looks a lookout. for fires he's a lookout 100 percent. i that's the one thing i looked up I'm like is he before even this call came on like was he a ranger was he a fire just watch lookout person Okay, he's a Firewatch lookout person. Wyoming is an open carry state. You can carry firearms in your waist exposed to anyone. <laughs> oh, this guy works in the woods and he's not bringing a forty-four. What is happening? Where are we? What <laughs> world do we live in that we're in someone in Wyoming working in the woods will not carry a fire? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. Let's move but, on. But especially in the 80s. Bell. Oh, come on. But that that um, almost took me over and I almost un uninstalled and left. <laughs> um did you guys uh mike you took the boombox with you i threw it in the water uh mo dan what did you do with the boombox and the and the terrible teens so, sorry i did throw it in the water i think i went on that tangent but what i was trying to say was <laughs> did he identify himself as a ranger did he identify himself as a fire marshal guy because they were just yelling at him t calling him a creep telling him you shouldn't be here you're staring at us if he would have showed up with a badge or a rifle they would have been like, okay, this guy I, I don't, is an enforcer. I, I don't know why I'm surprised that the thing that Mo <laughs> finds wrong with this game is that there are no guns. <laughs> like, Mo's way to improve Firewatch is to give everyone a gun. Mike, you know this. You can't say I'm, you're surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised. You shouldn't I'm, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I am. Chief Firearms Officer at the Left Behind Game Club. We play a game without firearms. I will make a comment. It's got fire in the title. <laughs> Almost got me. <laughs> Is there a fire gun? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I wanted a flare gun, something. 
Nope. <laughs> no. No guns. Uh, Dan, did you terrorize the teens? Um, I stole their whiskey, but I didn't do anything with the boombox. Uh, but I took their whiskey. I so, thought it was funny too when he like shows up to bust him, and uh, as Mo said, that they call him a creep and everything, and he's like. He goes, like, full awkward dude who's like, oh, there's, like, naked teenagers. I shouldn't be here. Like, <laughs> the, the, the the way the voice actor did it, Rich Summer, it was great. It was totally, like, how an adult man would feel awkward in that. Like, he nailed that. <laughs> New to the role, probably the first group he was, well, obviously the first group he was kicking out. So, yeah. You know, like, day two. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. This it. is my also, first day. they left their... Also, they left their underwear everywhere, and if they're underage, I, I, I like, see, I'm doing it right now. Jacob, don't make things weird. I, I uh, call me Rich Summer. That's day one. Day two, uh, you discover a communications problem near one of uh, near Bear Point, uh, Bear Tooth Point. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is how in this game you navigate across a park that kind of is a, is a finite area. It's a big one, but it's very finite. But you do that by using a map and a compass, which to me, another kind of very fun thing. I get lost a lot about directions, uh, but it was almost very fun to use the map and my compass to find exactly where I was going. Almost like I was walking in nature. Yeah, I thought it was fine. It didn't. I didn't. It didn't strike me as like, oh man, this is a great mechanic, and I love doing this. No, it was just um, it was a working mechanic. Well, yeah, it just <laughs> it gave you it. It honestly gave you something to do uh, in between walking from destination A to B. Um, and yeah, I I, th- I thought it was fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like with Mike, but that, the one thing the map does do for me is I know like my progression in the game because it's like 75 percent of the map I've been to or like a checkpoint has been flagged. I'm like, okay, I have about 25 roughly percent left unless there's a boss. And I do those unnecessary calculations we all do. Like, what's about to happen? Yeah, I um the first time I played, I remember I got lost a lot because I'm not like um good at maps in real life so i was not also good at maps in video game life the first time through and so i remember being frustrated because i was like why am i always lost but uh i've either gotten better at direction since then or uh, better at video games or maybe both but this time through i was fine and the mechanic was good and i liked even at the different like um forest ranger boxes that you got to add to your map each time you like found something new and it was like oh here's this area or whatever so i thought that was kind of cool and i appreciated it more this time uh i was a scout when i was younger and uh it's fair to say that my scout training didn't help me at all here um but i think i was a bad scout because at one point i singed off all of my eyebrows and eyelashes but i think that's a story for another time and place um, I don't think we're going to have an episode that is more applicable, so you need to explain. Okay, so I was in Scouts, and uh, our Scoutmaster put a lot of fire on the on the fire and uh, before it was lit and, like, didn't say, Sorry. like, hey, I put a lot of gasoline on this on this fire that's about to be lit. And he's like, here, take this, this thing to light the fire. It was like one of those barbecue lighters because he figured, like, hey, if he puts his arm out, like, he'll be able to light it from a distance and not get burned. Uh, I lit it and the fire like was a towering inferno and it singed <laughs> off all of my arm hair, all of my eyelash hair and all of my eyebrows and my skin was like red for the rest of the day. Who's yes, Mohammed. The- Who's at fault here? Um, I You're think it's child. probably 50-50. It's probably 50-50. I just I love the visual of you being like pushed back in a, a towering flame inferno, 
singed of like the front of your shirt is gone along with every piece of hair on the front of your body my, my shirt nothing. was fine just my hair gone <laughs> oh man hello nothing nothing will get me through the day and make my day better than that <laughs> how long did it take to grow back <laughs> uh it took a little You're while still doing it no <laughs> it took a little while uh <laughs> Thank you. Uh, last Jacob, thing, you need to insert a drum shot into the this yeah, episode after Mo says that. I, I do. Um, the thing that makes it worse is I was like 17 when it happened, but that's beyond the point. Um, <laughs> anyway, Firewatch uh, is a video game where things start to happen. There's a mystery that starts to happen. Uh, you're asked to investigate a communications line that's fallen down. Um, there are areas of the map that you can't exactly access. There's a locked cave. Um, and something troubling happens around day 76 that kind of changes the whole complexion of the game. And I think that's the part where the game gets interesting. You start to go through and there's a a series of jump cuts throughout the game. And what ends up happening is, is, you know, some weird stuff starts to happen. You know, you notice that your window outside of your firewatch tower is broken. Uh, You notice that, you know, a line's been cut for this communications tower. And, you know, maybe there's a man that is chasing these teenagers that has wrecked their camp. So maybe there's someone that's here with you. uh, And that's when you kind of discover that maybe your conversations that you thought were intimate and private may not exactly be private conversations. You don't really know what it is. I thought maybe there was an animal at that stage, especially with the, uh, the, the tent in general. An animal that can read and write and listen to conversation. What? No, so not that element. I was talking specifically with the tent. The way it was like slashed open, I'm like, bear. And I think it was put in there to kind of make you think maybe it's not a human. That was like one element of the attack. So I wasn't saying the whole, obviously. The very the smart tent. bear. He's going to get your picnic of baskets. If you notice in the beginning, I said only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> you see so how it's Smokey and Yogi. Bring it all yeah. around, guys. Bring it all back to town. Oh. So I, I think the, the moment that Jacob's alluding to is you find a clipboard down by the lake and the clipboard has a bunch of handwritten notes on your behavioral patterns, where you go during the day, how often you go, how long you've been away, some key lines in your conversation with Delilah, some diagrams. Just it's really clear that someone's been paying a lot of attention to you. And as soon as you start reading through it and uh, flip through, you get clocked in the back of the head and you wake up not knowing what happened. Did you guys initially not think it was another person that you were just freaking out for no reason? I thought it was Yogi Bear. Really? Okay, so <laughs> you guys are all calling me a, a villain and you guys are all talking about freaking Yogi Bear. No, so I, initially I thought it was just a regular, like no, nothing was going on, you're just hallucinating, you're by yourself, you're alone, you know how your brain can wander and think things are happening, but they're really not, you're just making things convenient for you. I thought that until we saw the typewritten notes at like the university kind of research ground where it was like, uh, I think it was like inst- like behavior instincts, very easy to manipulate, more susceptible to do this. And it had the name seven out of 10. And then Jacob, you might've half spoiled the things for me. Cause you, you sent notes to our discord server with names of characters. And when I saw with a like, spoiler the spoiler tag with a spoiler tag, you can't do that. It didn't come through with a spoiler tag for me. <laughs> so I read that and I saw the initials and I'm like, I solved the mystery, uh, but really it was spoiled. <laughs> well, what we end up what we end up finding out is that someone has been listening in on the same frequency that you use 
to chat with Delilah. And you're not quite sure what's going on. All you know is there's a section of Wyoming, the forest that you're in, that's fenced off. And you don't know whether it's fencing things in or if it's keeping things out. And it clearly Delilah seems like she has no idea. And it also seems to line up with a lot of other things that you've been experiencing. The shadowy figure that you see earlier in the game, the cut uh, communications wire, the um, the broken windows and, and raid that happens at your um, fire watch tower. All of these things start coming together and you need to decide, essentially, is this a conspiracy? Is there something bigger going on here? Or is this just the teenage girls that are screwing with me? Yeah, I thought that that was really good, the buildup. Because at first it's like, is the park just more crazy than normal or whatever? So it kind of starts off feeling like that. And then once you see that fence and then end up seeing like research stations and stuff, I was like, oh man, they're going full X-Files. Like, this is crazy. Like, and was like, okay, what's this mystery? Are we a part of an experiment? Like, it, it, it totally sends you in that direction. And I thought that like looking back on it, like as, as Mike described, I was like, oh man, this is cool. Like maybe someone's, uh, we have like a secret nemesis or whatever that, or, you know, we're a part of something we didn't know. So I, I thought that the buildup was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, we played a game called Virginia, like, in the first 20 episodes of this, and I started, like you, Dan, kind of get those X-Files, those Virginia vibes, is this whole thing a dream? Who knows? But the the point where I kind of turned is that at one point you come back to your, uh, your lookout tower, and there's a tape and a Walkman taped onto your lookout tower, and you listen to it, and it's literally a conversation that you and Delilah had that's talking about, like, we're gonna burn this this uh, this place down, and you just start to freak out because, oh man, uh, one, are they, are, did we burn the forest down and they're gonna get us? And I think also you were talking about, like, I did a bad thing to those teens and now they're missing, and Delilah didn't file a report, so I'm going to be culpable if these children, uh, Chelsea and Lily, show up missing. So that's the point where I'm like, oh, this is not a very intelligent bear. This is a man who is very deliberately trying to protect himself, to screw with us, or to see what we'll do when put into the corner. I think the game from there kind of very quickly moves you down a funnel of, okay, now we need to figure out what the hell is going on uh, before the end of the summer and also save ourselves from potentially being arrested because these girls uh, show up missing. So it's basically CYA for the rest of the game. What did you guys kind of feel as the game started to move toward its its final crescendo of like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, no, I, I still wanted to believe that, like, maybe there's, like, a logical explanation, like, it's actually a research scientist trying to do something, figure out information about us, and all of the, like, microphone stuff, for some reason, I still kept thinking, maybe it was the girls, maybe they're still messing with you, because I did drop the radio in the in the thing, and they said, oh, we're going to make you pay, or we're going get, to get you back, it, it obviously connects the dots, this got a little too extreme, but I'm like, man, people can get really petty, this could be just petty level 9,000. None of it added up to me. None of it seemed to make sense. And because of that, I couldn't come up with a narrative that I could buy into. I, there was no grand conspiracy that I felt like made enough sense that I would be like, oh, yes, this is where it's leading. And there's no like Occam's razor simplest answer that also made sense. There was just way too much um, 
noise in the signal for me to come up with something that I could believe in. And so I was kind of just left hanging throughout the story of, you know, kind of seesawing back and forth between, is this some grand social experiment of people in isolation, how they behave? Is it um, the guy that's screwing with me? Is it the teenage girls that are screwing with us? Um, because one of the things that you find out along the way is the girls go missing and they're reported missing. And if they're the ones that are listening in this whole time and they're trying to get back at you, they can, they could really, really screw with you because there's a moment where Delilah says, um, you know, burn, burn it all down or, um, make, you know, why don't you take care of these girls or get back at them? And, that tape then comes back to haunt you. Someone's someone's got a copy of it, and you you're kind of left with the decision, you know, in the moment of what do you say, but also afterwards of like how exactly as Jacob said, how do you make sure that you're not in trouble at the end of this? Does anyone else surprised that they were so caught off guard that radio transmissions could be intercepted, or just <laughs> tune into the radio channel and you hear a conversation? I mean, I thought it was so stupid that. The, these people who clearly use walkie-talkies every day did not realize that, like, you, all you need is another walkie-talkie to dial into that same frequency. You don't need to hack it. Yeah, like... And giving you a new walkie-talkie is not going to fix this. Yeah. There's, like, there's no hacking walkie-talkies. Like, I am not a regular walkie-talkie user. I've just used them when I was a kid for, like, a week, <laughs> and I picked up on that. I mean, so, guys, it, it was the 80s, so I don't know if walkie-talkies weren't really a thing back then. You're you're taking your 2020 knowledge of electronics for granted here. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure they had walkie-talkies back in the 80s in, like, comfortable fashion, especially when cell phones weren't a thing. I'm pretty sure it was the communication method in World War II. Like, <laughs> yeah. Very fair, very fair. These guys have always given me like anxiety because I have a very bad habit of not reading dialogue or like <laughs> footnotes or like explanations for things in like certain locations. So I almost didn't want to ask that question because I was like, guaranteed there was something like this radio is is encrypted and that's why no one can hack it. And I was like, oh, I probably missed that. So let me just tiptoe around this comment. <laughs> I was going to say, you feel uh, like the full vulnerability of the 80s. Like, you know, a couple things on a walkie-talkie might be enough to, like, make you feel like you could go to jail or, like, oh, a helicopter is, like, a day's a day away or something like that. So I can't, like, just call them because, like, you're feeling scared or, like, those kind of things. And so I thought that it worked. Like, it is hard to be, like, you know, me in 2020 to feel feel that but i think that there is uh parts of that of like no you're just like in the middle of nowhere and like you kind of got to solve it on your own but like how can you manufacture proof if someone frames you like they're clearly have been yeah. building a case so i thought that was kind of cool i think the thing that um i maybe that maybe kind of upended me and maybe surprised me was kind of where the game ended uh, I think throughout, uh, and th this is spoilers for, for Firewatch, so if you don't want to know what happens, then you should stop listening now. Um, they had kind of teased Brian Goodwin and Ned Goodwin as, like, Brian was a past lookout in this location. You know, you had to read a lot of the notes to kind of understand uh, what he was like and kind of why his son was with him. But Delilah had a connection to Brian's son who shouldn't have been at the park. Uh, but I don't know if I necessarily, like the end paid off as well as something like Gone Home, where I, like, I was completely surprised by it, but it was earned. In this game, 
we'll talk about it in a second, but I just kind of was like, oh, that's what happened here. So what? Just we're at the point now where we've called spoilers. What happens at the end, as far as you see it? Okay, so what happens at the end is you know you are told like, hey, someone you know after you've explored the research area uh, and kind of gotten a device that allows you to see where other kind of devices are that are tracking you. Uh, you ultimately decide to go into the cave that's been locked up since the beginning of the game. When you go into this cave, you discover Brian's body, Brian Goodwin's body. He's Ned's son, and he's been there for many years, uh, kind of, I guess he had an accident, fell on his head, or did he? And that's kind of the first revelation, is that Brian is dead in this cave, you found him, Delilah's very sad about it, and that kind of works you to the final crescendo, which I think we'll talk about in a minute. Did you... I I didn't really understand and feel the way I felt about... Like, I didn't have any feelings. Am I a bad person? Maybe, but I I didn't feel anything when Brian was uh, dead. Sociopath. Because when they (laughs) send you to the cave and you see just a dead, not rotting, but like obviously been there for like a a month or two, heads gone, like not gone, but covered with like rocks and stones at the bottom of a cliff where you see maybe he could have fell. But the way he's sitting there, there's like rocks on top. It just, it did not look like a natural fall because like if, first of all, why is he there by himself? He's like 10 years old. He can't climb anything. So, like, why is he, like, kind of, like, in that area? And obviously, part of it is, like, you have to go kind of report it, but there's no signal in the cave, blah, blah, blah. That could have been happening. But the fact that the kid was there for so long, I'm like, someone left him. There's no, like, reporting anything. Someone's not worried about this kid. That's kind of what I saw, Mike, if that's what you were leading to. It's very unusual that someone's just Yeah. So, the first time you go into this cave, before you go even deeper, you see a lone shoe on a stretch below, and it's illuminated by a ray of light. And, you know, you, on, on the Xbox, you press left bumper and you zoom in and you can see the shoe. And that is the moment that you realize there is a dead boy down here because there is no good reason for the shoe to be there. And that's when I started piecing, you know, putting the dots together. And then you get even further down and you find the body. And for like, I don't I don't think I'm that out of the norm. I think a lot of people were probably piecing that together when they saw a young boy's shoe you know, strewn earlier in the cave all by itself, Mm -hmm. um, right by a ledge. Um, But yeah, I definitely felt, you know, I don't want to say pangs of guilt, but I definitely felt remorse seeing this young boy's decomposing body right there, um, clearly left to die and, or left to rot. And it made me think that, well, Ned is not just a, a challenging father that they describe earlier he seems to be a pretty bad father. He didn't, not only did he not take the steps to, you know, report what happened, but he just left the body there. Um, so it, it opens up the question, you know, was this more than just an accident? Um, I think in the end, in the, the dialogue choices I chose, I said this was likely just an accident. You know, there's not a whole lot of reason to think it's more than that, but um, even, even then, I think it just shows how poor of a father Ned was and, and the, the revelation, you know, spoiling it that we get to is Ned is actually the man that you see the silhouette earlier. He's the guy who's been tracking you and Delia this whole time and keeping track of everything. And he's been living in a little hut 
um, inside the park, and the fire is a thing that is now pushing him out. So he runs deeper into the forest as it's burning around him. Uh, Mike, I just want to go back to a comment where you made that uh, he, you said something along the lines of, you know, maybe something more happened here than just it being an accident. The way that the stones were kind of arranged, my thought was maybe Brian, who was Ned's son, fell and maybe he didn't completely die and that maybe he was on the verge of death and, you know, as 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 sociopathic as this is to say, maybe Ned killed him to just put him out of his misery. I, I think that there might have been more there than just like he fell. Because you're you're days away from, you know, any help. So if you fell and you were on the verge of death, maybe that's something that Ned just kind of put his son out of his misery and feels guilt about it. And that's the reason why he isn't able to talk to authority figures, why he's running away from his past. Just the thought I had about it. I, I just got to quickly hop in, though. It is a standard in human cultures around the world that we bury the dead as as a sign of respect, as a sign of care. I think it's incredibly odd, even if he did have to put his son out of out of misery, you know, um, that he would just leave the body there and not not deal with it. I, I think these murder uh, thoughts that you guys have put out are pretty uh, good. When I played, I just kind of took it as an accident and that it like broke Ned, that like he was already a troubled guy. And then when this happened, it was like, OK, he's just going like full mountain man and like. Uh, society will never be able to accept me after this, so I will just retreat from it forever. But uh, that point about burying the dead, though, that's a good point, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely strange that, like, there was nothing done after it. It's the whole, the fact that it was designed to show that the kid didn't just die. Like, there, something had to, like, if he was, I don't, I feel like there is, has to be something, like, either wrong with Ned. It could be like what Dan was saying, he just wants to escape the world. But, like, if that was your kid, I feel like you'd, want to get down there eventually bury him move him away you don't want some random person to find your child like that's it just seems so fundamentally that, that something foul had to have been out play or ned's in a foul place right now and can't like understand that what he did or what happened could have been we, no one will know except for ned and brian uh maybe brian doesn't even know because if it was an accident but at the same time like it, it's something is definitely wrong with leaving your kid there for that long to look that way I don't know if you guys felt this about the last half an hour, but I felt the last half an hour of the game was incredibly effective at like making you rush through, but also kind of feel everything that was happening. So in the last even 20 minutes, you're running because the whole fire around you is burning. Delilah's telling you, you need to get to a helicopter and get out. And at the same time, you are on the verge of solving a summer's long mystery that is right on the tip of your tongue. I thought that the end was like, it built up in a nice way. We can talk about whether or not we felt the story earned its ending or not, but I felt that the end, the way it built up, and the way that last 20 minutes of the game was, getting to the helicopter, finding out what happened with Brian and Ned, was a really effective way of finishing the game. I think just as like another comment on like the game really making you feel it at the end, when you are like doing your investigation uh, and you are somewhere in Delilah's like, okay, well, at least you can kick back in your tower now. And you're like, what? I'm not there. And she's like, that's not you. I felt like the fear in that moment, like that was really well done, really well voice acted. Cause you're like, oh man, mm -hmm. someone's at my house. I got to go get him. Like 
that was on point. And I think you're right, Jacob, is that you just really felt what they wanted to feel the last, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever. They really landed that. In terms of like the content, like what we're building up to, I didn't feel any of that, Jacob. I didn't feel like, the, the, I think the only reason I felt like there was like a pace being increased was because of the music tempo. Like it felt like, boom, boom, boom. Oh my God, you got to pay attention. But when I, I literally had a moment, I'm like, I don't like, why? I'm, like what's, there's, I'm not going to die right now. Like, yeah, I want to solve the mystery. But in my head, I'm like, I'll just get to the next, like, to the end of it. Like, what's, I wasn't rushed. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely knew that there was not going to be any encounter where I have a fight or where, you know, I as a character am going to die. But I do think the music, like, Chris Remo does an amazing job with the score in this game. Um, and the music just ends up picking up or giving the real sense of, you know, ominous like wherever wherever it comes in um I, th- I thought it did a fantastic job of giving that tension i think the writing does as well the the scene dan that you referred to where it's like oh yeah aren't you the guy aren't you in your tower right now no no i'm not well someone's there that is such a an arresting moment you know my heart skipped a beat um where you know i kind of felt like fight or flight like now's the time i've got to sprint back over there they do things outside of the mechanics of the game that really build the tension that I thought were good. Um, I just kind of felt like it still fell a little flat for what I was expecting. I definitely um, was like panicking when I, when they said that someone was at the watchtower and it wasn't you. I was like, Oh, okay. This is real. It's not it's Smokey the bear is not there. It's a person that's, that's run back. I think it was the only time where I was like, Oh my God. Okay. Pace. Let's go. So I want to bring in a question that came in from Twitter and it, it kind of wraps up what we've been talking about here. It comes from thoughts from player one at thoughts from P1 on Twitter. Uh, they had a couple questions, but what the one they asked want to ask here is, did you find the ending was a satisfying conclusion to the story? And uh, we're just going to leave it at that. Did you find the ending was a satisfying conclusion to the story? So I think it depends what you take from the ending. I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. I think the first way is just, you know, on the surface, uh, it was just Ned that was, you know, watching you and, you know, reporting and, and keeping track of all of that. And there was an unfortunate death of, you know, his son, Brian. And that's kind of what this was all about, his his paranoia around that situation. And you're getting out just in time, just as the fire is about to take everything over. Um I think the other way to look at it is that you've been manipulated this whole time by Delilah and that she's actually been in on this the whole time, that she's carrying a huge amount of guilt. And I think they give a couple of clues throughout the game that it's kind of the latter. If you look at, um, you know, you'll find books throughout the park. And the books are almost always conspiracy related. There's, you know, one with JFK with a sniper scope over his face. There's others that are about, um, you know, how this uh, it's kind of like a John Grisham series of novels where, oh, the crime is never what you actually expect it is. It's always a little bit more nefarious. And then the one book that kind of just stands out among them all without a cover, without anything special is Jane Eyre, which is a Charlotte Bronte novel that is about a married man who has a, a, a destitute wife that's living in the attic who goes crazy and ends up killing herself and I think setting the house on fire in the process. Um, and there are there's some interesting parallels throughout. And so I think if you just take it at face value of, you know, oh, it's this pretty simple, straightforward story, um, 
it is kind of disappointing. But I think if you dig a little bit deeper and you think of all the reasons why you probably shouldn't trust Delilah. One, you see the report on you and Delilah and it says you are a 7 out of 10 out of manipulability. And you look at some other things that like Delilah decides to give you a new walkie-talkie, but where she places it, she has to pass by your watchtower. Um and it doesn't come and give it to you. She makes you go even further. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you factor in some of the elements of she is also the reason why Brian is probably dead because she didn't, you know, um, report on the fact that Brian was living there even when he shouldn't have been. There are all of these little things that stack up as to reasons why you shouldn't trust Delilah and why she's actually, you know, the antagonist. And it, you know, I think if you dig a little bit deeper, um, I think it is a little bit more satisfying and interesting. Um, that said, I still didn't love it at the end. Hmm. Um, you know, all of that to say, I think I think it is more interesting than people are, you know, grappling with uh, at first first glance. Um, and a lot of the comments around it being unsatisfying, I think, are just like shallow interpretations. Um, but I think even when you dig a little bit deeper, it's not all that, you know, all that impressive and all that mind blowing. I, I think Mike is right that uh, at first glance, it's unsatisfying. I remember feeling that way the first time playing this time since I knew it was coming. I didn't feel that. And like, I, th- I think that maybe the, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, letdown or whatever from it didn't feel as strong. But the uh, the deeper look Mike provided is I like that. I think that that's uh maybe some helpful perspective because I didn't really think of her as a bad person or if I did, I think I would like it in the, like if there was a conspiracy, but instead of like um, her badness is related to what happened with Brian, that's, that's pretty interesting still and could be cool. We got a, similar questions from both Daniel Marino and from control alt noob, but I'm, I'm going to credit this one to control alt noob on Twitter at control alt noob. She asks, I see this recommended as one of the best walking Sims a lot. Uh, what is it that makes it stand out more as opposed to others in the genre? And I, I guess I want to expand on that and say, you know, maybe if you if you didn't vibe with Firewatch, this is an A or B. If you didn't vibe with Firewatch, what's another game that you would recommend to, in the genre that might get people's attention more? I think I'll start and just say, like, I always talk about Virginia a lot. It's a supernatural two-hour cinematic game. Uh, the team is making another game coming soon. Uh, so uh, that's probably one that I'd recommend. I, I was Firewatch is like an eight to me. It, it's an eight. It, it paid off in a lot of ways. Um, for me, I think I liked it the most out of everyone here. Uh, but I think there are games in the genre that I like a little bit more. I don't want to give it a number, but um, I, I wouldn't give it an eight uh, on my end. Would you consider What Remains of Edith Finch to be in this genre? No, Michael? Yes. No, I wouldn't. Jacob, yes. Dan, give me a yes I would. No. I would also. Okay, so... I, I loved that game. If you haven't listened to the podcast, you'll see me giggle and like just hoo and ha about how amazing that game was. And I was expecting it to be the, so trash. I think this would be a, that would be a good recommendation and something I, I doubt someone can play and say, oh, I didn't enjoy. But obviously that's foolish to say because someone's going to play it and say, ah, it's a bad game. But that's something I would recommend. Yeah, I think same boat. Uh, for me, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch is like the best walking sim in my book. Like, 
I've played a fair amount of them. I like them in general. I thought Firewatch is a pretty good game, and I think I liked it more on the replay than the first time. Like, the first time I thought it was solid, and I think I liked it a little bit more the second time. So I, that's, I guess, points in its direction. But what remains Vita Finch for me is, like, if you're a walking sim that's better than that, you've got a really good game on your hands, and Vita Finch is kind of my uh, top one. I I would definitely recommend Gone Home. I I thought Gone Home was a better version of this game. Even not to, you know, not that they are, you know, that much alike other than they're both quote-unquote walking simulators, but I I definitely think that, you know, the the story's good, the dialogue is really really well written, the voice acting's fantastic, the score is really well done. There are so many pieces of this game that individually are great. And when they come together, I think are made even a little bit better. Um, I just uh, I didn't fall in love with this game. And I think I'm probably just suffering under the weight of my expectations coming in, being such a fan of the creators. I think, Mike, I, I th- you said Gone Home, and you know I initially just cringed and said, oh, worst game in the world. But you know what, Mike? I would say, yeah. I think Gone Home might be a little just because of the story, the depth, the complexity. The I like the storytelling, the voice acting in that game. I just was all into it. I was it was just the first walking simulator where you don't like do anything. And I think the initial catching me off guard might have made me have a like a negative perspective to it. Whereas I feel like if I played it now, I might have enjoyed it a little more. But I still would have hated it because I'm never a flip flopper because <laughs> <laughs> there's no guns. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking too, I guess, with that is that all the other walking sims that I've played, I've gone on with, gone into with like little to no expectations. I'm like, I heard it has a good story. That's basically what you need to be able to be something I'll probably play. Yeah, same. Probably play to put on the podcast kind of thing. And so, you know, the entry is a little smaller. So maybe that's why, like with Edith Finch, I didn't have anything. And then it was just killer. It was so good. But Firewatch, I did come in with stuff because I was like, I know I liked Walking Dead. I know I like these things. And like, I know they're really talented. And, I, you know, I don't know. I Like, I'm not, I don't know exactly what I would say would make it where I would be like, this is the best walking sim. I love it or something like that. Like, I'm not exactly sure what they could do to make me feel that way. And so I wonder if I uh, they do have some unfair expectations against them in some sense from me. Um, I just want to add before I ask a final question, Mo, you, you said Gone Home is is maybe not a great game. It is genre defining, and I I will leave it at that. Uh, you can listen to our podcast where we talk about it, where Mo Mo's tastes have changed a lot over time. It's one of our early podcasts. 100%. Uh, it's a fun one to listen to. Uh, our last question comes from at Commander Nikki on Twitter. Uh, several questions. Uh, I want to ask two of them. Uh, just a fun way to end the podcast here. Uh, the first question is, would you take a job as a fire watcher? Uh, if yes, any park that you would prefer to work at? And then the second part of the question is, how would you keep yourself entertained? Just a fun way to end the pod here. I'll start and say, I would never do it because I burned off my eyebrows and eyelashes. Bad in nature. <laughs> Mo, uh, sorry, Mike. Um, I I think if uh, if if you play through the game again, you can play with uh, designer commentary, which is super interesting for me, being a fan of the Idle Thumbs podcast, because it kind of seems like a bit of a uh, an Idle Thumbs episode about their own game. Um, I I think one of the things they talk about is. 
being a fire watcher is actually one of the most boring professions of all time <laughs> because you can't entertain yourself in the meantime. You really just have to stare out into the distance. You're in the middle of nature, no access to technology, and you can't even be distracted by a book. You have to be, you know, keeping an eye out for, for fires. Um, and so I would not take on this role as much as I love, you know, uh, being a hermit and, <laughs> and stealing myself away from the world and reading books. Like, I think that's great. I just, being a fire watcher seems maddening. Okay. So would I take a job as a fire watcher? If yes, any park you'd prefer to work at, I think the park I'd want to work at probably doesn't need a fire watcher because it's so small, but it's uh there's, there's a park a couple blocks away from me. Uh, called Stanley Park. It's like three blocks away, and the only reason I pick it is so I can walk there and maybe come back home. Good park. And watch it from my apartment. Good park. So maybe that's what I'll do. One of one of the things, one of the fun facts about the development of this game is that one of the designers, Nils Anderson, is in uh, BC, um, and they got a lot of the uh, inspiration of uh, you know the Fire Watcher towers from parks in BC. Um, so Mo, there, there's a lot of inspiration right at your foot. Oh yeah. Right it was bugging footsteps. me, man. I want to go outside so bad, but we, we can't. And just for context, uh, <laughs> Mike was referring to a province in Canada, British Columbia, not Washington DC for our American and worldwide <laughs> listeners. Uh, Dan, uh, what are your thoughts about those questions? Uh, practically speaking, no, I wouldn't like just with the life I have and all that stuff. And like, I don't know, I'm married. So like. Are we both going to live in a Firewatch Tower? Like, uh, you know, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but um, in a, like, uh, hermity, like, have a weird job that doesn't matter sort of thing, that's kind of appealing. And, like, if I could go hiking and stuff, like, I would be pretty into that. So I guess if I did do it, maybe I'd do, like, Glacier National Park because that's in the middle of nowhere and looks really great. Like, I don't know if they need a Firewatch, but if I could hang out there for a summer and just, like, read a lot and, you know, do my job adequately uh i could get down with that (laughs) uh gentlemen i think that kind of summarizes our thoughts on firewatch uh do you have any kind of final notes that you want to make about this one before we close out for the for the episode i think that among the group i was among the people that liked it the most um i think it was a lot of our expectation i mean this was our big white whale for this podcast that we have not played firewatch in the almost three years of doing this almost three years of doing this uh so i think it had really high expectations and for me it met them didn't exceed them it was a great mystery story in a, in a beautiful environment uh i don't know if you guys feel the same way but that those are my thoughts um who wants to take it first here so I think we all almost have, well, except for Jacob, we all have a kind of similar sentiment. Like we are victims of the hype. It was the greatest game. You have to play it. If you haven't tried it, go and play it. And I, when I took it on, it was more so like, okay, I'm not offended. I, I don't feel like I wasted time, but I don't think I'm going to recommend this to anyone. If they haven't played it, I'd be like, try something else. Like if you really, if, if there is no more games and it's in your catalog, sure, play it. It's not a bad, like you're not going to waste time. But, like, I wouldn't recommend it over any other okay walking simulator. Like, I, I might even say play Gone Home first, and if you like that, maybe play Firewatch. If you don't like that, don't play it. Like, it's something like that. That's my final thought on Firewatch. It's all right. <laughs> Gents, uh, uh, Dan, why don't you go first? Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, same, similar to Mo. I think if I were giving someone, like, a list of walking sims to check out, it would definitely be on it. Like... I enjoyed it. It's a pretty solid game. But if I was trying to like convince someone to get into Walking Sims, I'd probably recommend another game. 
And I, th- I think, uh, you know, as much as I can respect and admire all of the separate pieces of this game, um, and, you know, actually love the separate pieces of this game, I didn't love the whole experience of playing it. And I felt the most impactful, the part that I, I thought was the absolute best is what Dan talked about earlier, that opening scene. The beginning of this game is so strong, and I feel it kind of peters off along the way. And... Um, so I, I wish that I didn't have the expectations that I did. And it's one of the reasons why I don't like to know a lot about the people who are, uh, who create my favorite art. And I think, I think that's just impossible to separate at this point for me. So, um, I'm going to have a, an interesting history and and take on this game that I don't think others are going to have in the same way. Um, but I'm glad it exists. I'm glad that it's a touch point for other people to make games off of because I think they, you know, push the genre forward. So those are our final thoughts about Firewatch. Uh, if you want to find out more information about our podcast, you can find all of that at leftbehindgame.club, on Twitter at leftbehindclub, and on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. Jacob, don't forget the comment that we got on our podcast on iTunes. I, now, I would read it, but, you know, I don't read, so right. it's all so, yours, buddy. So uh, a big shout-out to Will Gallant, who uh, said some great things about the podcast. Um, this podcast, man, holy expletive. I love this podcast so much i listen to it all the time and i love and have played so many of the games that you talk about and i've learned so much about a bunch of new games as well can i suggest that you play subnautica at some point because that is my favorite game and it's not too well known well will we will consider it thank you so much for the review and if you like our show do like will give us five stars on whatever podcasting platform you listen to because it helps a lot if you want to join our discord which is a great place to find information about video game deals about game news and about other topics like our show you can find the link to that on our website like i said at leftbehindgame.club dan um if people want to find you and your work on the internet uh tell people where they can find you and uh tell us again about the podcast that you host because uh, again it's one that i'm sure our audience would enjoy to listen to yeah uh so again uh our podcast is called the greatest story ever played and just like left behind game club we hit up a game per episode so you don't have to worry about uh, a lot of cross stuff going on we just focus in on one thing for the most part and uh have hit up some games they have too like uh detroit become human or the last of us but then also have hit up other things they haven't like life is strange uh telltale's walking dead that sort of deal so um yeah if you want to hear more about any of those games we go into those um and as jacob said on the top two uh him and i talked about dark pictures man of Madon, uh which was a fun conversation to do um you can find yeah if you look up the greatest story ever played uh on any podcast platform it's there uh our website's the greatest story ever played.com and that's got links to all the apps and all our episodes on there and all that and uh our twitter is at story everpod i'm pretty active on there so if you want to engage uh definitely hit me up and you you do fun stuff on your twitter as well i know that back in march you did a kind of march madness about different games so there's a lot of fun content that you can engage on twitter there uh mike if people want to find you on the internet where can they do so they can find me on all major social media platforms at ruffalo m um, or my website, michaelruflo.com. I'm in the process of rebuilding it. We'll see if it's up by the time that this launches. Um, you can also find me in the Discord. Go to leftbehindgame.club, hit that button, hop in, and go to the spoiler channel. And uh, yeah, look forward to fighting with you all about my hot takes and opinions. <laughs> 
Uh, Mo, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on almost all social media platforms at mmurtadi, um, but also in that Discord channel where I try to keep up with all the conversations, but it just keeps it just keeps spitting out fire, like deals all day, news all day, and just general hot takes from Mike and everyone else yelling at him, telling him he's wrong. <laughs> uh, people had some things to say about your opinion on Last of Us, but we will leave that for the Last of Us uh, episode and the Discord. Uh, Mike, uh, what do we say to him? And that, my friends, is one less game left behind.